American Catholic History is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hello, and welcome to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. If you like American Catholic history, please help others find it by sharing this episode and giving us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Today we're talking about the political thought of Orestes Bronson, specifically what he wrote about the place of Catholicism in American political life and his position on slavery, abolitionism, and the Civil War. We gave a biography of Brownson last week, but briefly, Orestes Brownson was born in 1803. He was a convert, having moved through a number of different faith traditions before becoming Catholic at 41. He was a prolific writer and considered by many to be one of the most powerful intellects of the 19th century. And what he had to say on matters mattered to a lot of people. He wrote on politics, religion, culture, you know, all those topics everyone says not to talk about. Right. All the topics but sports. Well, if he'd lived long enough for organized sports, he'd probably have had strong opinions about those also. <laughs> of course. For one, he definitely recognized baseball as the most sublime of sports, and he'd strongly opposed the designated hitter. And interleague play. Oh, of course. All good people do. Yes. But sadly for him, he didn't live until the era of baseball, so we had to look at some of his other topics. When he wrote, he did a lot to parse the issues and think through them logically. In his writing, he shared his thinking in painstaking detail. This method does tend to make his articles very long, but when you're publishing your own paper, you can get away with that. It also means that his reasoning for his conclusions is available. There's little left to wonder about with Brownson. It's all there. It's all there. So let's get into our first topic, what Brownson thought about the significance of America and the place of Catholicism in it. Well, for starters, he had a very high opinion of the significance of America. He wrote, quote, the United States has a mission and is chosen of God for the realization of a great idea. It has been chosen not only to continue the work assigned to Greece and Rome, but to accomplish a greater work than was assigned to either. That's a pretty strong statement, but he meant it. And he had strong opinions on what it would take for America to ascend to such great heights. First, he believed the development of the American spirit made America a unique political and cultural body in world history. Yes, he recognized our European roots and in particular the synthesis of the Western political tradition that came from England. But to Brownson, the experience of many decades living on a frontier continent spread out over great distances gave Americans a perspective that the English just didn't have. Right. Living so far from the seat of power in a place where you had to work hard and be independent to survive, combined with the English political thought in the minds and hearts of the colonists to form an American spirit. Exactly. And what was able to develop was a system of unwritten but commonly understood rules about living in society and about how things ought to be governed. And that sounds an awful lot like natural law. Yes, it does. Brownson thought so, too. 
Natural law, for those unfamiliar, is a very important concept in Catholic philosophy. It can be summarized as the unwritten truths about the human person and society that can be perceived through reason applied to the human condition. So we observe human nature and what brings about human flourishing, and from there we can determine what rules ought to be followed by individuals and societies. To Brownson's estimation, the Americans developed an approach to self-governance based in natural law. This influenced the rationale given for their rebellion in the 1770s. In the Declaration of Independence, Thomas Jefferson wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And self-evident and endowed by their creator, are terms evocative of natural law. This founding was so far so good, according to Brownson. They didn't start with an ideology and establish a government that would lord over the people and force everyone to act according to a plan. Rather, they took the lived experience of the people in the place and established a government that arose from the lessons learned. And the lessons learned indicated that the people ought to be sovereign, and freedom must be respected. But since people need an authority to keep order, arbitrate disputes, and protect property from ne'er-do-wells, the powers of government ought to be exercised by elected representatives. The way Brownson synthesizes all of this prompted Russell Kirk, the very important 20th century conservative theorist and writer, to call Brownson the champion of ordered freedom. But to achieve ordered freedom, founding the government on principles of natural law isn't enough. Government becomes a tool, and like any tool, it can be used for good, or it can be used for evil. The founders themselves recognized this. John Adams, who signed the Declaration of Independence and later was our second president, said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Other founders made similar remarks. They recognized that if the people went bad, if you will, well, then the government would too. Now, Adams was born and raised a Congregationalist Protestant, but later was a Unitarian, two faith traditions that Brownson also spent time within. The rest of the founders were mostly Anglican, with some other Protestants and a few Deists among them. Only one, Charles Carroll of Carrollton, was Catholic. Those founders who expressed this sentiment would have meant some version of Christian morality, but few would have been specific. But Brownson was specific. He argued that only in Catholic morality could be found the necessary framework for sustaining a moral nation. Brownson said, All modern nations tend to barbarism in proportion as they recede from the Catholic Church. His reason partly goes back to what we said a moment ago, natural law. The Catholic tradition is the only tradition that systematically and rigorously recognizes, develops, and heralds natural law. Obviously, other faith traditions have adhered to principles of natural law to some degree or another, but this is where the difference between the Catholic tradition and all other traditions comes into play. All non-Catholic traditions elevate the individual and the individual's own determination of religious and moral truth over the determination of a competent authority. Catholicism is the only faith tradition in question that demands of its adherents the submission of intellect and will to a teaching authority the magisterium of the church, on questions of faith and morals. 
When it comes to the big questions, Catholics have no authority to decide what is true and what is not. Catholics, of course, believe that this is right and proper because Christ gave us the magisterium and guaranteed that it would be protected from teaching in error. So to submit our intellect and our will to the magisterium is to submit them to Christ himself. Non-Catholics do not have this luxury. They have no choice but to essentially set themselves up as their own magisterium and go through life more or less hoping that they're getting the big things right based on their own interpretation of Scripture. Now, it's possible and even likely that a lot of non-Catholics will arrive at moral truths that are similar to what the Church teaches, but A, it's not guaranteed that they will, and B, there are details of morality that natural law doesn't come to as easily as don't steal or don't murder. So the best way to ensure people live according to sound moral principles was to make sure everyone was Catholic. Right. If the people brought their Catholic faith with them into the voting booth, the elected officials would more likely govern according to sound moral principles. This is why Brownson said, all modern nations tend to barbarism in proportion as they recede from the Catholic Church. The fewer people involved in governance who adhere to Catholic morals, the less likely the government will govern according to sound moral principles, and the nation will descend into barbarism. Now, to be fair, this is also the case with nations ruled by a monarch or an aristocracy. Regardless of how many people hold political power, the people who do need to be Catholic— so Brownson was clear, for the American Democratic Republic truly to succeed, the people had to be Catholic. This conclusion would be shocking and enraging to a lot of people in Brownson's own day. Anyone who's been listening to this podcast will remember the groups called the Know-Nothings. They were violent anti-Catholics who formed political parties in the 1840s and 1850s. We talked about them tarring and feathering Father John Babst in episode 51. Then they rioted in Philadelphia and burned down Catholic homes, businesses, and churches in episode 80. And a member of sort of a descendant group of theirs, the KKK, gunned down Father James Coyle in cold blood in episode 109. The know-nothings insisted that Catholics could not be good Americans because Catholics were beholden to the Pope. They wanted to impose the Pope's rule directly over the United States. And since the Pope was at a time a political ruler, this meant Catholics had divided loyalties. Which, of course, is nonsense. Yeah. According to Brownson, Catholics had the potential to be the best Americans, voters who would vote according to sound moral principles, and government officials who would govern according to sound moral principles. <laughs> Catholic leaders who govern according to sound moral principles. <laughs> what a great idea. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, no nothings might counter by saying that Catholics are slaves to the Pope, that they would just do his bidding in the voting booth, that Catholic politicians would take their orders directly from the Pope. Except, of course, the Church's authority doesn't work that way. The Church doesn't dictate policy specifics. Rather, she provides basic guidelines that government policies should respect, like protect innocent persons from being killed. Brownson likened the authority of the Pope and the Church to the authority of the charts and positions of the stars that mariners use when navigating a ship. The captain is free to plot his course across the sea and pilot his ship as he will. But the charts and stars give him a sure guide of the way to go. So the Catholic religion was the only belief system that Brownson regarded as capable of guiding the American Republic to success and prosperity. And the degree to which her people departed from Catholic principles would be the degree to which she departed from the right path. Okay, so all of that said, let's look at one of the thornier issues of Brownson's day, 
slavery. Yeah, yeah. For starters, the church has condemned the enslavement of peoples multiple times over the centuries. Yes, the church teaches that all human persons ought to be free to live the life of Christ and pursue flourishing. The church has always rejected that any individual owns any other individual as property. The church has long condemned the subjugation of peoples to be sold and purchased as slaves. And the church condemns any practice that denies the humanity of persons and presses them into involuntary service, treating them like brute animals. Brownson wrote a very long essay on slavery, and we'll just quote a little bit of it here. At one point, he says, Slavery is a great moral, social, and political wrong, whatever be the complexion of the slave. But then Brownson says something that makes the eyebrows raise a bit. The Catholic Church, he says, has tolerated slavery where she lacked the power to abolish it, but her whole history proves that she sets her face against it and uses all the means at her disposal to prepare the slave for freedom and to secure his ultimate emancipation. The laboring man, whether white or black, may be a poor man, but God has given him the right to be a free man, to be his own man, not another's. Yeah, this is a very tricky thing to talk about, and it's a distinction that needs a bit of fleshing out. What Brownson is saying is that while the church says that slavery is wrong and should be abolished, there are situations where the slaves need to be prepared to be free prior to actually being freed. The slaves should remain slaves for as long as it takes to prepare them to live life well on their own. And the fault for this also lies at the feet of those who practice slavery. Brownson continued in the next paragraph of that essay with, The slaveholders know very well that, in order to keep their slaves ill subjection, they must close to them as far as possible all the avenues to intelligence and keep them as near the level of brutes as they are able. They must stifle in them the man and prevent the development in them of that image and likeness of God in which they were created. It is this that renders slavery an outrage upon humanity. So what the church says and Brownson communicates is that slaves must be treated well and the ultimate destiny of slaves is to be free men who are baptized, catechized, and prepared to live on their own in freedom, as is their right as human persons. To do otherwise is a gross offense against God, and all of this remained the responsibility of those who held the slaves in bondage. But in spite of this deep opposition to slavery, Brownson was not an abolitionist. In fact, he opposed them. Abolitionism was the political movement that sought the immediate emancipation of all slaves and the outlawing of slavery in one swift action. Brownson opposed abolitionism precisely because he believed that simply freeing all of the slaves overnight before they were prepared for freedom would lead to even greater evils than were already being perpetrated. To be sure, he abhorred and condemned the ill treatment of slaves, but to him the solution to the slavery problem was to convert the slave owners to the correct, that is, Catholic, way of thinking. Once they thought with a Catholic mind, they would treat their slaves as a Catholic should. Eventually, he believed, slavery would die a natural death. To bring about this natural death, the anti-slavery elements of the northern states had to be able to influence the pro-slavery elements of the southern states. This required preservation of the Union. Brownson feared that should the abolitionists gain power, the Union would break up. 
This, of course, is exactly what happened with the election of Abraham Lincoln in 1860. Lincoln wasn't explicitly anti-slavery during his election campaign, but it was understood that abolitionism was ascendant with his election. Brownson's biggest fear came true, and the southern states ceded from the Union. Brownson acknowledged that the issues which the southern states claimed as their reason for secession was the right of the states to set their own laws. And he very much appreciated the importance of states' rights against the threat of a too powerful central government. But, since the particular right that the southern states were fighting to defend was the right to own slaves, they lost the moral high ground. So once the Civil War began, once the South went to war to protect their right to own slaves, Brownson became a strong advocate of abolition. He knew that the abolition of slavery was a necessary component of the North's victory. He welcomed the Emancipation Proclamation issued by President Lincoln on January 1st, 1863, because it crystallized the issue at hand and left no room to doubt the intended outcome of the war. Brownson also proposed another theory, which I found very interesting. Brownson believed that if the Confederate States of America won the Civil War, the CSA would quickly surpass the North in economic advantage and population, and thus the CSA would become the preeminent power on the continent. Eventually, more states would secede from the United States to join the Confederate States, and slavery would become the norm all over the continent. So, just as strongly as he had opposed abolitionism due to the greater evils he thought it would bring about, he now supported it because of the greater evil that slavery had, in fact, brought about in the war and that it threatened to bring about should the South win the war. Of course, the North did win the war and slavery was made illegal throughout the nation with the 13th Amendment. Brownson lived for 11 years after the Civil War ended and continued writing until nearly the very end in 1876. His collected works, edited and published by his son in 1887, stretched to 20 volumes. So it's safe to say we've only barely even scratched the surface of his thinking. His writings, unfortunately, were sorely neglected for many years. But a resurgence of interest in the middle of the 20th century contributed to the development of American conservative thought, among other insights. And we're looking at doing more in-depth episodes or videos on various topics and thinkers of American Catholic history. And Brownson certainly presents a lot of material to get that sort of series started. And people who might be interested can sign up for updates about this and other goings-on at AmericanCatholicHistory.org. Right. And as a beginning theme, we may look at expanding on his insight that Catholics have a unique opportunity in this country. If we let Catholic moral principles guide our political activity and we engage in evangelization to change hearts, we have an opportunity to bring about greater good through our representative government, which was founded in part on natural law. You've been listening to American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media on the StarQuest Production Network. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please help others find it by sharing this episode and by giving us a five-star rating and a good review. And be sure to check out our sponsor, Beatrix Media, providing writing, digital marketing, website strategy and construction, and search engine optimization services. Visit BeatrixMedia.com. Experience your world communicated. Also, please support the many fine productions of SQPN at sqpn.com slash give. To learn more about Orestes Bronson, to find previous episodes, or to learn about our upcoming pilgrimages to important and unforgettable Catholic holy sites, please visit AmericanCatholicHistory.org.
We also love feedback and hearing about great Catholic history sites and stories from all over. You can email us at history at sqpn.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Catholic History, on Instagram at ACH underscore podcast, or follow us on Twitter at ACH1513. I'm Noelle Heaster-Crow. And I'm Tom Crow. Thank you once again for joining us on American Catholic History, sponsored by Beatrix Media and produced by StarQuest. <laughs>